and welcome to the King Hero <laughs> IndyCar Podcast with Kirby and Justin. Curb, how are you? Way, way to mix it up there, Justin. I keep it going, baby. Fresh. Right, doing, doing well. How about yourself? I'm pretty good. Frankly, it's a it's a barren wasteland of of news out there, Curb. I think our absence uh, really has not been missed by anybody because uh, it's hard it's hard slugging out there right now. Well, you know, look, Connor Daly's headed to trucks, right? He's out of IndyCar and headed to trucks. Yeah. Um, the reality is, I don't think he's got uh, the budget, as they say, to uh, to keep that seat. And if he's got a a paying job in trucks and NASCAR trucks, I think he should take it. Well, I agree. I agree. Well, uh, I didn't realize he had a paying job in NASCAR trucks. That's what they say. Hmm. Well, okay. So uh, you directing traffic here. Let's uh, let's start there. <laughs> uh, I think we pronounced, or at least I pronounced. Uh, a few episodes ago that I thought that seat was going to Ryan Hunter Ray, the, the Ed Carpenter racing seat we're talking about. I still think uh, Ryan Hunter Ray's in with the shot, uh, but it sounds like that is your classic up for sale uh, seat. What do you think, Herb? I think it's up for sale and I think they've gotten a, I think they've gotten a call on their ad already driving there. And I think I read in some article that uh, the Aiken camp placed a call to Ed Carpenter as soon as they saw that, that the Air Force had pulled out, and he was looking for uh, looking for funding. So um, looks like a, a connection there that was made pretty quickly. And um, I think Carpenter this week is on record as saying he wants to have things buttoned up by Christmas. I think you have to put your money on Aiken, wouldn't you? Yeah, I the only thing that has that makes me hesitate on that front is you know parsing uh, Aiken's words after the test. It didn't sound like like the money was all figured out. Now, again, maybe I'm overly uh, parsing his words, but it didn't sound like it was done, done, done. Uh, and he didn't sound overly confident about it being done, done, done. As I said with Ryder Hunter Ray, the fact that he was in the car testing really indicated that that's the most likely candidate for the car. Now that we've had two people in the car testing, it muddies the water a bit. You know, I, I suspect that if the Air Force came back, there was no guarantee Daly was was uh, staying in the ride and I think there was a decent chance that that Hunter Ray could have could have slid into that seat and I wonder if testing Hunter Ray was maybe a last-ditch hope by Carpenter Ray to show the Air Force that they didn't have to accept daily they had other options that maybe were more exciting unless uh Ryan Hunter Ray has found his uh, inner Tony Kanaan I don't see him suddenly becoming a a marketing machine and trying to to raise his own money to for the seat Let's say that Aiken gets the seat curb. All right. Let's just let's just presuppose that for for the question I'm going to ask you. So mm-hmm. I'm looking I'm looking forward to next year forecasting I should say not looking forward to. Um, so I'm looking at a field that is filled with Aiken, Devlin, De Francesco, Kellett, Ilot, Ilot, yeah, Lundgaard, Lundgaard, Kirkwood. Kirkwood, and and there's a few others, all right? Yeah. You know, pay-for-play type of spots, I would suggest. Kirkwood might be the outlier of that a little bit. And we're looking at a field that's kind of got a lot of people that – I'm not sure in a perfect world that's the field you would choose. And I'm wondering if you feel like that somehow detracts from the spectacle that will be the uh, 2022 IndyCar season. 
I think these people are not necessarily taking high profile siege. They're not kicking Scott Dixon out of a car. They're not kicking Will Power out of a car. Or, uh, Excuse me, but they are pick. They are kicking out like a Ryan Hunter Ray and a Sebastian Bourdais, for example. And mm-hmm. I, you know, and maybe it's their time, right? And maybe right. it's their time to go. Um, it saddens me in a way, I guess. Well, that's. It's a circle of life, Justin, and if I need to, to uh, you know, help you buck up a little bit and, and learn that about life, then I'll be happy to do so. But um, I might I might need that. You know, okay, you can you can maybe say I I'll miss uh, Bourdais more than I'll miss Hunter Ray, but um, I'm not going to miss Hinchcliffe. I'm not going to miss uh, you know, uh, Lungard's in a third car there, so he's not necessarily kicking anybody out of a seat. I lots in a new team, so he's not kicking anybody out of a seat. If uh, Aiken takes daily spot, then I, I can live with that too. Okay, well there you go. Yeah, yeah but Lucas in for uh, Ed Jones. Is that going to really make you shed a tear? <laughs> I guess not after Long Beach. Now, <laughs> so I'll miss a few drivers in the future, but uh, I'm not really crying too much for this crew. All right, well that's. Uh... For an older chap, Curb, you're uh, you're you're quite forward thinking. Sometimes you're really uh, magnanimous <laughs> about the whole thing. That's what they say about me. That's I'm probably the only person to ever say that about you. Actually, <laughs> um, you and my idiot brother, uh, the, the two most unlikely people oh, that oh. people would say that about. <laughs> Tongue is firmly in cheek. All right, well we're talking all around it. Let's get into it. Let's get into the fact that there were four euros. Testing at Sebring in IndyCars. I, I noticed that there are three columns, um, you know, kind of profiling the three drivers outside of Isla mm-hmm. uh, about the, the, their post, uh, you know, their post uh, test interviews. And it, it uh, you know, I kind of read them all uh, in succession and I, I, I kind of felt like I was reading the exact same article. They're just the 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 driver's name was substituted in there. Right. But right. the comments and everything else were pretty much exactly the same. Right. That's a, <laughs> uh, a deadline stuffer. Right That's there. a better than a twofer. That's a threefer. You got a threefer on that one. That's right. Yep. That's right. Um, is it significant that we are looking at four euros coming in, testing all on the same day with uh, with different teams? All kind of the same profile of driver, if you will. Formula Formula Two type drivers that, for whatever reason, can't get into Formula One, of which there you know are dozens of reasons why you can't. It's it's certainly uh, continuing a trend, but the trend seems to be ramping up at an even more rapid rate as the the last couple of years go on. And and we've always had a little bit of this European participation in in IndyCar, right? That's kind of ebbed and flowed over the years. You know, we're certainly in a, a situation now where it's seeing like uh, IndyCar is, in my view, becoming like a, a post-Formula 2 destination, like one of the options. Make IndyCar relevant enough, interesting enough that um, it's a fraction of the cost and you can actually be competitive uh, from the front to the back of the pack. You have a chance to win every weekend. They've been The question, Curb, why is it happening now? I think there's a zillion of these kids over in Europe, too. Formula E had provided a nice paying outlet for these guys for, uh, what are they on, season seven now, I think they just finished. Some of those drives are going away. So two of those guys driving today or yesterday at Sebring are Mercedes Formula E drivers that are going to be out of a job at the end of next season. Thirdly, all these guys are middle to late 20s, I think, if I remember that 
uh, stock article correctly. Change the name. You probably also changed the age. Well, they might have forgotten to change the age curve. That might not have been one of the. You know, at, at mid to late twenties, they're they're old men in Formula One. I get, agree, Kurt, get, but 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 th- this has been the case for the last ten years, right? I mean, th- those guys have always existed, right? For the last ten years. My question is, why now are they coming to IndyCar? Why? What? What? What has changed that they're actually coming to IndyCar? Because those guys existed ten years ago too, and they didn't. Oh, is yeah. it, for example, the aero screen, or is it, for example, the Romain Alonso Marcus Erickson effect? Or is it, uh, you know, more of like a, a, a Renus VK effect where, hey, I was just like Renus. I was I was just like, and he look, he's gone over there. Oh, yeah. and gone I, I think the aeroscreen has had a big effect. Well, um, it, saved, it saved countless lives, so sure. Yeah, count, cl- clearly, yes. But the perception of safety that the aeroscreen has afforded, I think, is, is, is a big part of it. They only need three or four million bucks and they can get a ride over here, which sounds like a lot of money, but, you know, from a Formula One standpoint, it's like, you know, that's nothing. And I think maybe it started with the aero screen. And then, like I said, a couple of fi- pioneers coming over here and stepping the toe, uh, sticking their toe in the water. And now and now that, you know, they've had some degree of success, like, here we go. Well, I, I don't want to oversell the, the aero screen um, and not because I'm against it. You know, Erickson came before that. Alonzo came before that. Um, you know, Grosjean's the only one that came after that. And he was you know, had other circumstances that uh, drove him over here, um, aeroscreen or not. The aeroscreen might have made him more willing to try the ovals. Remember the pounding on the table about the need for American drivers uh, that was pounded on the table for, what, 10 years? Uh-huh, during yeah. the, And then that went away when we got American drivers. By the way, I never pounded on the table. I just, I want to see drivers. I don't care where they're from. I mean, Robin Miller, who was one of them, obviously won't be the one, uh, you know, leading this charge. But I wonder if we're going to start hearing these comments again, you know, where are all the American drivers? Um, as long as they keep supporting the road to Indy, uh, the scholarships and all that, I think you'll still get a decent number of American drivers coming through that system. I think what's curious right now is there don't seem to be very many South American drivers where they used to, <laughs> you know, they used to be half the field in IndyCar. And uh, as as Helio and uh, uh, and Tony Kanan get older, uh, you know, uh, Montoya is pretty much out the door. Um, you know, there's not a lot of those guys from South America anymore, which is, you know, not surprising is the right word, but interesting anyway. Mm. Economy must be pretty rough down there. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it's been a, been a tough, tough decade for South America. Yeah. Um, Anyways, um, where will Vassar Sullivan end up since their partnership with Coin has come to an end? Uh, nowhere next year, I believe. I mean, they're going to park it. I think so. Yeah. Maybe an indie only program with somebody? Maybe. I could see that. They say that uh, they're still talking to teams about partnering up with someone, but you think that's a smokescreen? Not likely to happen. Well, I mean, you never rule anything out. People always seem to need some extra money, but. Um, uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's more uh, unlikely to happen. Yes. Apparently, according to them, um, Lexus is really getting behind them in uh, sports cars and really beefing up their program. And they, and they also teased that uh, you know Lexus is a Toyota brand and maybe something's in the offing there. Well, one thing we know from they, right? Let's 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 uh, let's mark the accomplishments at this point in the show of they in the last uh, three or four weeks, curve, shall we? I don't know if we have time, do we? 
I, it seems like an endless list of things that he has or they have been able to accomplish. Um, one is the he set up the or they set up the recruiting program, the very successful recruiting program at uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Clearly is uh, going to be responsible if we do get a third manufacturer in. Oh, they sure. will they will have been part of that. And they is also the de facto agent of almost everybody in IndyCar. They mm-hmm. go to they first before they go somewhere else. Apparently, he's the sole repository of all cell phone numbers in the in the IndyCar community. So. There's no question. And uh, and when somebody gets a job, it's because they uh, anointed That's right. them. Right? That's right. It does. Now that we got our snark out. Well, yeah. it does break the beg the question though. Why why is Sebastian Bourdais out of a job in IndyCar if that's the <laughs> case? Yeah, that's a good question. Hmm. Apparently, Alex Rossi is uh, is uh, shedding most of his extracurricular racing next year in an attempt to uh, maximize his free agent value at the end of the season. Yeah. Will that have an effect? Do you think? Well, ask Will Power. That's how he's conducted his life the entire time. Well, then uh, maybe not. Right. The one thing I, in the comments I have seen from Rossi as of late, uh, he's got a very uh, understanding position of where he's at right now, I think. He's not in any kind of dreamland. So, and I give him credit for that. He knows, uh, he knows what's at stake this coming year, and I, I think he is a little nervous about doing anything that would get in the way of that. Uh, you know, my question is um, maybe you should have, uh, kept the racing gigs and, and ditched the, the weekly podcast. <laughs> well, you want to get the, want to get rid of uh, distractions from your racing. Uh, well, I, I've talked about the hinge click factor now for several months. Yeah, right. Curb, uh, Richard Petty sold his operations. Saw that. And yeah. And again, I, I, we can't get into the discussion two podcasts in a row, but again, I think it's exemplifying the the potential value of a franchise system in uh, in IndyCar. Well, I think I uh, acknowledgement of uh, being on the wrong side of that discussion in the past. Still say that the potential value of an IndyCar franchise is a long way away from even Richard Petty's might have been worth. If anybody can figure that out and make it work. I'm sure Penske can. I hope they can get on that. Um, uh, if they can't help him, then he could call you and uh, get some advice from you. Yeah, perhaps they should cont- reach out to me. Well, like Roger should reach out to you, not they. Well, I don't think I can get to Roger without they. Gotcha. Curb, um, I, you touched on it a little bit ago, but um, it's really, I mean, it's interesting to me, and this is kind of a, a, a topic of out of nowhere, but the Notre Dame coach. We, t- we touched on that previously. Well, I decided to change the subject matter as I was I was wandering into something and then I changed my mind. I guess we won't talk about the Notre Dame coach, but I do find that whole situation fascinating, by the way. What I was going to say is that you touched on it earlier that the there's there's been basically a manufacturing exodus from Formula E. I have a question about the Notre Dame coach. Okay. He was uh, introduced to the public yesterday in a very press conference full of pomp and circumstance. Okay. And it was pointed out that his parents were there, uh, proud of their son and his big career moment. Uh, his and his, his leaving his job before it was done? No, the new sorry. Notre Dame coach. The new Dame oh, the, sorry. Okay, I thought you were talking about the old Notre Dame coach. No, the okay. new Notre Dame coach. Okay, the new Notre Dame coach. Okay. And, yep. and, and uh, there's his parents there, very proud parents, and their son's big career moment. 
and he gives them all the credit in the world for raising him to be the way he is. And it's pointed out that the dad is a retired Air Force guy, I think, who had been stationed in South Korea. And there he'd met Marcus's Marcus Freeman's mother um, and brought her back to the States. And they were married and had this, uh, you know, Marcus Freeman, and I'm sure a few other kids. So Marcus Freeman is apparently half African-American and half Korean, right? Okay. Okay. So articles, though, only refer to him as being a black coach and not a Korean coach. And I find that racist interesting and maybe telling about our society just an observation that's all well tiger woods same thing right yeah but nobody's nobody's saying hey it's significant that notre dame has a korean american coach they say significant that notre dame has a african-american coach the asian half of marcus harrison heritage has got to be as as significant as the 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 african-american half no it's i don't think so i don't think it is I mean, I, I like I said, Tiger Woods was a, he's he set the tone there. More African American coaches in college football than there are Korean American coaches. Anyway, back to uh, more interesting things like Formula E. Uh, like I said, you touched on it earlier. There was this exodus. Uh, there's a manifest in in what you would think would be the time when everybody would be running to that series, right? Because the electrification of of our automobiles clearly gaining a lot of steam. Uh, in this in this world you would think formula e would be where they're all wanting to be and yet all the big guys are pulling out and uh, i just found that interesting i i don't i don't really have too much insightful to say about it it's just well one of the they're they're getting out one of them either either bmw or mercedes one of the two was quoted as saying they have nothing left to learn about the electric car drivetrain uh from racing in formula e that they could apply to their road cars maybe for the past five seven years however long formula e's been around that uh i think they were just using that series uh you know like, like a beard it was their electric beard electric car beard and uh, they don't need it anymore i gotta imagine it's pretty expensive exactly i, I well i think that's kind of where i was going with it is i think it's probably pretty expensive you know hear what they said about it but i think the bottom line is like yeah we're no longer getting any bang for the buck out of that Right. So we're out. It's, uh, that that series may be in for some tough times, I think, uh, after next year. Well, they're, um, they're, they're introducing new cars next year, I think. Yeah. You see where last year at Monaco, this is season seven, I think, and the Formula E car had finally made enough progress that they could run the full a full two mile loop that actually used that famous Monaco tunnel. That they, apparently they've been shortening the course and maybe. Uh, Avoiding some hills or something to to stage the Formula wow. races in Monaco. Wow, wow, I didn't know that. That's interesting, Curb. Um, I think we're getting uh, we're getting to the time when we can uh, relieve our uh, listeners of the burden of listening to us. But I did want to touch on Formula One for a minute. Okay. And and uh, this this is uh, as a defender on this podcast generally of Formula One. I I am now not going to be not so defensive. Formula One, I'm sure I am not the first to coin this term, to me has turned into Formula Wine. The amount of whining going on in in that sport now is has reached just a ridiculous level. You know, and this thing between Mercedes and, and Red Bull, it's like it's all it's not about racing each other and it's not about, you know, who's better, Verstappen or Hamilton. It's all about 
who's cheated on the wing and who drove who off the the course and uh, you know things and who's not following the rules and remaining within 10 cars uh, you know on a on a yellow flag lap and it's just and and max, the, max didn't check to see if lewis is okay yeah the, all this kind of and the whining is just now incessant uh, particularly between uh, total wolf and christian horner and it's just both of them whining about uh, michael massey who, and, and and the whole thing reached uh a, f- a fever pitch as far as i'm concerned in that saudi arabia race which by the way was was uh formula one's uh nashville of this year new track and just lots of disasters um half have to do with the new track half not but they tied themselves all up in these knots with their regulations and who could change tires and when and and who could uh, you know in the red the 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 stops of the race, like two or three, two stops of the race in the middle of it and, and, and the yellow and the virtual yellow and the safety car and all this kind of stuff. It just, it, it the whole thing reached to the point where the, most of the race, you're just watching people whine, including the drivers as they're driving the car about other people not following the rules really reached a ludicrous level when uh, Michael Massey, who's not a steward, he's, Somewhere in between that, right? He'll refer stuff to the stewards, race stewards, okay? If right. if he deems it necessary. Where it reached a point where he made an offer, literally made an offer to Red Bull, like, hey, we're going to put Lewis up here and Ocon's going to be here and, and your guy's going to be there. Will you accept that offer? And then Red Bull had to say, yeah, we accept it, or no, we don't accept it. And if Red Bull, presumably if Red Bull said, no, we don't accept it, then they would refer the matter to the stewards who would have decided. So, like, you got this, like, intermediary during the race making offers to the principals of the team. It was ludicrous. Well, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, everybody can hear those communications, can't they? Yeah, yeah, right. And and I think this Massey guy, I think he's he likes, you know, he likes to be on air a little bit, you know what I mean? Okay. That's just my view. Why, why would you want to have those you know, conversations on air. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So he's doing all this is transpiring. And I just I'm thinking about all these people that are tuning in because the, you know, the drive to survive and stuff. And I'm wondering how many are tuning out is like it's not a race. It's a soap opera, you know, and but it's not a very good soap opera. It's just a bunch of rich, privileged people whining. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's going in a very negative direction, I think. And uh, on some level. It uh, feeds the uh, news cycle, right? But the, it's sounds like it's gotten out of hand. Given all the acrimony and all the the whining and all the uh, let's say poor sportsmanship, what are the chances that Verstappen will just go full uh, Elaine Prost on Hamilton at the start of the next race? Uh, considering his actions in the last few races, I'd say not. Definitely not out of the realm of possibility. If you know something like that, and of course they're you know that's uh, that's going to sell tickets. Uh, there's going to be eyeballs on the race for sure. It's probably so, going to be great. It's probably going to be the greatest season ever of Drive to Survive this year. But the reality of the racing and really watching the racing uh, was far from it. There's just less variables in a Formula One race than there are in an IndyCar race, for example, or God forbid, a NASCAR race. I, I, I'm guessing maybe contributes to this this uh, soap opera effect you have going on because. Since it's all about strategy and those type of things, that's all they have to talk about and complain about and whine about. And then you get a younger guy like Verstappen, who seems to be a little more hot-headed than a, than a Hamilton, decides to try to take matters into his own hand on the track here, 
in the last month or two and and uh that stokes up the uh the uh soap opera train even more but i mean it just seems like there's so little separating those guys to where it's a strategy call here or did i pick this the right tire here was my tire warm enough when i you know did a restart or something they're just sitting there looking at every little you know hair on their chin trying to figure out how they're going to beat the next guy and when they don't get the right call they're going to complain and whine about it because that's the only way to you know, it's like an NBA game trying to soften up the rest for the next game or something. I hear you. And, and I look, there's a lot of validity to everything you just said. Formula One is suffers from uh, a bit, being a bit overregulated. There's too many rules. Um, it suffers a bit from micromanaging the race instead of just kind of letting them race. Mm-hmm. Included in that, you can't exclude where they race in that topic. I wasn't going to get into this, but th- those courses are so, you know, all, with all their, you know, asphalted, uh, you know, paved runouts and all that kind of thing. Um, you know, th- well, and, there's and not they, they, they stick through the turns. There's no. Yeah. So you gotta be a good driver, but I mean, there's no like it's got to be really hard to outbreak somebody in a formula one car because they stick so well to the track. No, no. Right. I mean, it's all that, right. I mean, this is the technology of the cars and stuff, but I, I do think the courses and are, are partially responsible, you know, because there's, there's just not enough penalty for being too ambitious, you know, where a lot, let's face it, a lot of the indie car tracks, you know, you're off in a gravel pit or you're, you know, you're into a wall and you're out of the race. These courses for the most part, you're just off to a runoff area and on you go. You know, there's a lot of talk in Formula One now about putting gravel pits back in and all that, but that's a that's a burden on the tracks for uh, you know the other 364 days of the year. I, I think even even the even with Formula One now having just incredible popularity and seems to be kind of hitting on all cylinders. Um, man, like I said, they they still have their Nashville um, over the weekend and. Uh, it's a, it's a tricky business, this racing thing, this management of racing thing. Let's end on this question, Curb. If we will. Okay. Open question. We have to end already? Yes. Leave them wanting more, huh? <laughs> or a whole lot less. Um, okay. So uh, in Jeddah, the, the circuit in Saudi Arabia, there were several faults pointed out of that, that, okay. that drivers and commentators would – Felt like uh, you know, needed some revision on the track. And certainly um, after Nashville of last year at IndyCar, um, again, new track. Uh, also many comments about you know revisions suggested, required, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Mm-hmm. Which track and which racing organization will make uh, the adjustments and which will kind of just hope it's better next year? I feel like that's a leading question. <laughs> um, but I don't, I, give, I don't even, require, it, I don't it, even require an answer for you. Kirby. Given the historical sentiment of this podcast, we'd have to say uh, the Formula One track and the uh, deep pockets of the Saudi Arabian hosts are more likely to make the changes than uh, than IndyCar is to make the the obvious and correct changes at uh, at Nashville. Let's hope you're on, Kerr. And, and sadly, the number one change they can make wouldn't cost them a penny. Those are the ones they never make. That's right. That's right. All right. Do we have any sponsors left? South Street Diner, Boston, Massachusetts, mentioned this podcast. 
and the owner Saul will give you a generous discount. Uh, Twitter, Curb, Twitter, at Hero IndyCar, at H-I-R-O IndyCar. Follow us. Enjoy. Something tells me we won't be back till the new year, so uh, happy holidays to everybody. Uh, you might be right, Curb. So uh, agreed. Happy holidays to everybody, and uh, and uh, thank you for listening this year. If you've hung in with it uh, all along, uh, we'll try to be better next year. Take care.